podcast, if you are tuning in online, a uh, couple of things. First one being, I just found out that we were not able to yet get week one, last week Wednesday, onto our podcast, and uh, I believe it's on the YouTube channel, though, correct? Okay. It's on the YouTube channel? Yes, okay. But uh, it hasn't made its way to the podcast. There were a couple of difficulties that they, we're hoping to get that up, hopefully by the end of the week here is our goal. So then you can tune into week one and then join us here for week two. Uh, and the second thing is I want you to know if you're listening online and you're not able to come in person and for all of you too, that we do not, we have our service next Wednesday, but then the week after that, so two weeks from tonight on March 4th, we will not be having service here. We are going over to the Life Church in Lee Summit area, View High Drive, and uh, that information's on our website in the bulletin. And we are going over there because Thursday night, Friday morning, and Friday night, they are doing something they've never done. They're having regional Missouri camp meetings. So instead of all of us going to Ju in July to go to St. Louis, they said we want the churches, it not just to be full-time ministry, you're the church. So we want you to be able to partake in a conference setting where there's preaching and choirs, and it's going to be amazing. And uh, we have Evangelist Victor Jackson preaching here. Our district superintendent, Brother Brian Parkey, is preaching. And Friday night is a children's crusade at 7 o'clock. So there's something great for the kids. I say that to make the announcement so that you, don't, you know what's going on in two weeks. But also, please do not have a conference of this magnitude within 40 minutes of your house and not go to a service. I want more amens than one. Do not. This is not like, oh, sweet, this is, a, this is a free week to just chill and relax. Like, get in the house of God. We're not canceling service. We're moving our service for one week, okay? And so, yes. So Thursday, I think it's at 7. Friday morning, if you, if you can sneak away from work, that'll be worth it. Friday night is another one. Do not not go to at least one of the services. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I don't like to say I'm begging you, but if it's going to help you get to church and get your blessing, I'll get on my knees and say, please come. Because it's going to be worth it. And so, and for your kids, too, that Friday night. All right. Well, last week, we kicked off a brand new series on the tabernacle. And if you didn't have a chance to tune in, we're going to hopefully get that up. Um, but in last week's session, I explained how these pieces of furniture were the exact dimensions that they were given, in, that are given in the Bible. Now, as I know, this is not a perfect science. We don't have them overlaid with gold. There's not the poles that we the rings that you carry them in. So we didn't get, I, Andrew and Whitney did this on about 70 bucks. And uh, I, I made the joke, if you want to bring all the gold and the resources, they will soup this up even more, okay? Um, but for now, this is, I want you to see the dimension. So this is actually the size of the altar of sacrifice. And that was the actual size of the altar of incense that was in the holy place. And this is the table of showbread. Uh, now, there's a couple things. There were no dimensions in Scripture given for the golden candlestick. And so I have you a replica of what it would probably look like, except for just much bigger. And so we just put it there. It has the one, two, three, four, five, six on the three on each side, one in the middle. And so that's, that's there. And, um, and then the, the Ark of the Covenant up there, which is between the wings of the cherubim, is where God would meet with the high priest one time a year. And so you can see the dimensions there, but 
then the, the, the labor of water there, that, that also is not something that it gave dimensions. So it's a beautiful salad bowl instead. But you can kind of get the idea of what that might, might look like. Well, then I think I told you, if you look at these posts back here, technically the, the outer court went probably another 40 feet that way. But when you came in, you would, the altar of sacrifice technically, theoretically, should be in our foyer. But if you've been in our foyer, you know, hmm, if you're not strong in geometry, look at this and look at the foyer, and you can quickly figure out those pieces aren't going to work very well. And the labor of water would also be out in the foyer. But then these posts right here in the back of the church, this would begin, be the beginning of the tent of meeting, the actual tabernacle itself. The outer court is out there. Then you would come into the come into the actual tent portion, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and you'd walk in, and here you would find the, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and uh, the, 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 the light. Uh, and so then you'd keep going, and then right about here in this fourth row would be a veil that would separate the holy place from the holiest of holies. So ignore the altar, that's not there. That Ark of the Covenant would be right where that altar is. And, and so that's where it would be. And you would come beyond that veil. The high priest would one time a year and would come into the presence of God where God would commune with him between the wings of the cherubims. And so this really allows you to see, and this would be the, this would be the actual tent that lines up. I made the joke last week, they didn't have American flags yet at the tabernacle. They probably didn't have Christian flags yet either because they were first called Christians in Antioch in the book of Acts. So that wouldn't have mattered. But it's, it provides a nice tall point of reference for where the tent is. And that's why I say right now, we got Sister Diana and Addison and Felicia and Tim and Kirby and Alice and Teresa. They are in the holiest of holies right now. And some of you are even in the tent Sometimes it separates you. You got Billy Joe. He's hanging out in the tent. Esther, she's outside. Same thing over here with Jose and Senya. Nope, nope, nope. They're both out. They're both out. <laughs> They're both out. Yes. And so that's just a little bit of a, a point of reference. And it's great because I asked some of you, what is the thing that surprised you the most? And I heard different things, like I, I was so surprised the ark was that big, or the, I didn't know the footprint was that large, or I didn't know the tent was that small, or, or I thought the ark of the covenant was actually, that was probably my most surprising, is you read the, you read about what's going on. Yes. If someone could tell them downstairs that that's a little bit pushing it with the bass and the music. I would appreciate it. I love their passion, but we need it just a hair down. So this right here, I, I, you know, I expect this thing to be massive. Is somebody going to tell them? Someone? All right, cool. I didn't see anybody move, so I just, I didn't want it to be one of those things where the, everybody assumed someone else was doing it. Sometimes that works with witnessing and reaching the lost, too. We can't all just assume someone else is doing it. Let's go reach the world. Amen? So... That right. See, I can preach a message off a message if I need to. But I expect that thing to be huge, you know, but it's, it's really not. And, and, and that is where God would meet with the high priest. And so, 
Tonight, as we go into the second week of the tabernacle and our approach to God, this title, I'm, I'm focusing on the tabernacle to the cross. Before we start to get to individual pieces, I want you to see the overall scheme of this. See, God designed the first tabernacle to be portable. Has anyone ever been a part of a portable church? Raise your hand if you have. Two, three of you? Well, guess what? We're getting ready in the next 10 years. We're going to be planting churches all over the place. So some of you that have gotten so used to sitting on padded pews in the same building, you're getting ready to go out and plant churches and be portable. Amen. I ain't trying to kick nobody out, but I want to start getting more into the harvest. And you know what? This was a portable church. There's churches that every week they meet in a gymnasium and they roll everything in their check-in areas, all of the black drapes and curtains and, and all of the, uh, the, the uh, platforms and the sound system and the projection and the chairs. They tear it all down, set it all back up, tear it all down, set it all back up. Some of you are like, I ain't playing no church. But... One day, some of you are going to plant churches, and I want you to know God's spirit can reside in a portable church. We read it right here. And so God gave specific instructions for taking down, picking up, transporting. There were exact instructions for moving not just walls and linens, but every single piece of furniture from one place to the next. Why? Because we talked about it last week. We serve a detail-oriented God no matter where their journey took them. When the tabernacle was set back up, it had to be set back up with careful and precise order. We're getting a taste of this on a tiny scale right here. Me and Andrew, we got a taste of it as we, and, and Andrew and some of us helped us put it away, but me and him yesterday, we carried it all back out and set it all back up. And this isn't even heavy and there's not even that much and, and, and we didn't do it all, but just you get a little taste of what that would be like on a tiny scale. None of this has any real gold. It's not as heavy as it would have been back then. We don't have to set it up and tear down a big tent every week. We aren't following specific ceremonies. We're not afraid that one of us is going to get struck dead for carrying it wrong. Matter of fact, we carried that upside down today on the way uh, yesterday. My Lord, we'd never do that in the Old Testament. I kind of felt bad doing it with that piece of wood. This tabernacle is held the very presence of Jehovah God. And hear me when I say it, it, it was the, the first time in human history that God had come down and actually dwelt among his people like this. They understood that even if one element was out of place, his presence among them could be affected. And today, even though we no longer follow this tabernacle plan literally, they are, there are still places God designed along our journey that will impact us and his, his ability to reside among us. If we just say, well, I'm skipping that or I'm not. For instance, we can't skip the altar of sacrifice. We can't skip repentance. We can't just fly past the, the, the labor of water, which is baptism. The Israelites knew that if they didn't pay attention to the smallest details given, this wonderful new relationship with God could be broken. They could be cut off. So here today, there is no longer one physical place where God dwells and resides. If, if you're only talking to him when you're in this building because you think this is the only place he resides, good news for you. Still come to church, but you can talk to him and feel your presence in your house too. And so 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. When we receive the Spirit of God, just as that pillar of fire sat, and we're getting ready to get excited. So just go like this. Just warm yourself up. Go like this. Go, woo! Say amen. amen. Say that's good preaching. Awesome. That was just for me. But um, when, we, when we receive the Spirit of God, just as the pillar of fire sat above the tabernacle, that let the nation and surrounding nations know God is in that place. They knew God is in that place. Brother Tim referenced that tonight. I just wanted him to preach when he was going. I was like, that's good stuff. Right there. Go, go, go. So God takes residence in his people. Is it not a coincidence, though, that the first time we ever read about someone receiving the gift of the, the Spirit of God and the, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, look what is said in Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind had filled the house where they were sitting. Man, God can move even while you're sitting. It's incredible. And there appeared unto them, what? Cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. Sat upon each of them. I guarantee you this was bringing some reminiscing about, wow. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. There we have the witness of speaking in tongues and the fire that sat upon each of them. There is no doubt that this pointed those believers in that place all the way back in their history. Wow, just like God dwelled in that, in between the wings of that cherubim, and there was a pillar of fire that rested upon that tent that said, God is in that place. Now the pillar of fire, cloven tongues like as a fire, there's not one of them, but it sat upon every single one of us because God's not dwelling in a tent anymore. God is dwelling in a human being after they have began to speak with other tongues with God's spirit inside of them. This is also why John the Baptist says this at a later date. Matthew uh, 3.11, it says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming after me who's greater than I, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and carry his sandals. He, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, and with fire. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. God decided to make his tabernacle in the hearts of humankind. And to this day, we may not have a literal flame of fire above our head, but when you speak in tongues and are filled with the Spirit of God, he is now dwelling in your heart, and he will lead you and guide you in your daily life, just as the pillar of fire did in the Old Testament. And just like they did back then, we must also carefully handle the place where he dwells. I don't want to do anything that will adversely affect the pieces of his new dwelling place. So if he's dwelling here, I don't want to expose my eyes to something that would be sinful, my ears to hear things that are contrary to God's plan. I want to cover my mouth and only speak godly things. I want to protect my mind and only have things that I dwell upon are pure and holy and acceptable and of good report, as Scripture says, because this is the temple. God will fill us with his spirits, but so much of what we do after he dwells in us is completely up to us. 
God dwelt among his people here in the Old Testament, but they were responsible for following his spirit, tearing the things down when God says to tear them down, building things up when he dictated to build them up and, and made God the very center of their homes and lives. There are going to be times still that God will tell you to tear some things down and to build some things up. You will see this tabernacle was not just some abstract story of the Old Testament. God had them set up his tabernacle with a very, very, he didn't just say, yeah, throw that over there. I guess, uh, how much it'll fit? You got, you got 14 feet there. Just, uh, yeah, just throw those three things. No, everything was a plan. That's why the Bible spends 50, like, I can't even remember how many chapters on the tabernacle. He also had the future in mind, though. It wasn't just for them back there. That's why everything in the tabernacle pointed to the cross. It pointed to redemption. It pointed to Christ. It pointed to our Savior. Look at, this, look at the, the next slide of the entrance of the tabernacle. As we begin to make our way into that tabernacle, see that outer court would have been the size of the, bigger than the church, and then that, that altar and that labor would have been in our foyer and beyond, and then you got the tent that some of you are sitting within right here, but there's only one entrance, there was only one way, you couldn't sneak in the back door, it's not like the bouncer was at the front, and you could kind of come in the back, and maybe you could see God, no, there was one way into the tabernacle, and that was the front right there, those linen, that linen area, and so thousands of years later, Jesus says, you want to come into my presence? What does he say? John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He is the one and only God incarnate. He took on flesh with a plan and a purpose. And God's plan was and is progressive. He creates Adam and Eve, and he says, I'm going to walk with you in the garden in the cool of the day, and I'm going to talk with you. Well, then sin comes and separates that. There's a divide. There's a chasm. Now, hey, I got to leave. I, I, can't, I can't be in the presence of God like I was. I don't get to have that same interaction, that same relationship. But guess what? Did God, is that the way that God initially intended it to be? What did he intend? He intended that to be forever. You eat of that, you'll surely die. God and his initial plan was for man and woman to walk with him, talk with him, have relationship with him, and live forever. Well, guess what? The rest of the story is the Bible of the Bible is his pursuit to make to put that plan back in place. And so what do we see along the way? He says, okay, I'm going to walk among you. And then he says, you know what? Eventually, uh, I'm, I'm going to get, I want you to make this tabernacle. And I want, I want you to set it up because I want to, and put it in the middle of the nation because I want to dwell among my people. And I'm going to give you a plan so that there's a plan for, for salvation, a way that you can come into my presence, a way that your sins can be taken care of and pushed off. But then he says, you know what? I'm going to take on flesh so that I can do what? Walk among you. So that I can pay the price. So that we can have relationship. But then he says, you know what? I have a better plan. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ascend into heaven. And this needs to happen so that I can send a comforter, which is what? The Holy Spirit. 
And he says, I'm actually going to, instead of a pillar of fire, a temple or a tabernacle, I'm actually going to put my spirit inside of you so that I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so it's a progressive plan. And he says, but then that's still not good enough. That's where we are now. But John 14, I believe, says, hey, if I'm leaving, I go to prepare a place for you. Why? Why would I do that? So that where I am there you might be also. In other words, I am out to restore the exact same plan that I had in the very beginning of Genesis when I said I want to walk with men and women. I want to have a relationship with them. I want them to be my friend and I want to be theirs. And when sin steps in, there's a chasm, there's a divide. But I set up the tabernacle that points to the, to the, to the incarnation, that points to the outpouring of the spirit that points to eternity it was all interlocked for what he wanted to do ultimately and that is for you and I the next prophetic event on the calendar is he's going to catch away his church and we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever that is beautiful and so the tabernacle is a part of accomplishing that plan, but there's only one way in, like the door, one entrance, and that is through Jesus Christ. I made this statement earlier. It was the first time in human history that God had come down like this and actually dwelt among his people in this manner. And I will add to that by saying it was the first place in the Bible where we get a glimpse of the cross in the instructions that are given to Moses. We say the cross. We love the cross. At the cross. But in that day, if you were talking about a cross, you know the cross that's on the Christian flag. But everything, everything, everything pointed to the cross. If we're here, I, I, I love the fact that we are one God people. I love the fact that we believe in the outpouring of the Spirit, that we believe in being baptized in Jesus, and then we can have our sins washed away. Absolutely. But none of that means anything without the cross. Because it's the cross that is the centerpiece of everything we believe. And some of you caught this last week because even in the instructions for the way the tents were set up for the, the people of Israel, look at that. There was direct instructions Tents. Can we go to the next slide? Look at it. The tabernacle and the pillar of fire in the middle. And this is the way I want you to set up all the tribes of Israel so that I would be in the center place of all of my people. I would commune with them. And so you see, he had them set up all of the tribes of Israel, 3, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12, and then in the middle, you had Moses, Aaron, his sons, and you had the sons of Aaron, and you had, and, and they centered around what? Where the presence and spirit of God was. But is it an accident that when God said, this is the way I want you to set it up, it was in the shape of a cross? But then to take it a step further, he says, put the altar there in the outer court. 
put the brazen laver, put the three pieces of furniture in the holy place, and then the holiest of holies will be where I dwell, at the head of the building. And look at the next slide. And is it any wonder that the actual elements, the furniture itself, was set up in the shape of a cross? The people were set up in the shape of the cross. The elements were set up in the shape of the cross. And just like that, so is our plan of salvation. Repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name. Entrance into the holy place, into the spirit and presence of God where he dwells, where we can dwell in his presence and power. Everything pointed to the cross. Who was on the other side of that veil, though? You approach this place, and, and, and you come right here, and, 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 and all of a sudden I'm here, and I'm all, here's the table of showbread, and here's the altar of incense, and, 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 and there's the light, and then I reach this point, and the veil is here. Who's on the other side of that veil? Who? Anybody? God, thank you. Look at the next passage in Exodus, I believe. Thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give you. And there I will meet with thee. There, God is saying there at that place, that is where I will meet with you. I will commune with you between the wings of the cherubim, between the two cherubims, which are on the ark of the testimony. Next verse. Or is that where it ends? That's where it ends. Okay. So what does he say? He says, I will dwell with you right there. So when I approach that veil, I know I am getting ready to interact with God Almighty. The ceremonies that have led me to this point, I am now getting to ready to go through the veil and interact where God says it is in that place that I will have communion with you. That's, he's not talking about cracker and juice. Real communion, like interaction, conversation, that's what God, but there was a separation there. There was a separate, there was a veil that separated, that divided God's presence from the rest of humanity. He was not accessible. He was not available to humankind. That's why Exodus 26, 31 says, for, for the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen. Decorate it with blue, purple, scarlet thread with skillfully, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood. Overlay the posts with gold and set them on four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from clasps, clasps and put the Ark of the Covenant. You notice, again, he's got a detail. What would we have said? Hey, you know, let's throw a curtain right there in that spot. Not God. I want it this color. I want it made this way. I want it gold hooks. I want, I want it to wrap around this. I want that, the, wrap, the, the beams. This is what they need to look like. And, and why? Because when God comes to, to reveal his plan for salvation, it will always be specific. And so he says the curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Then put the Ark's Covenant, the place of atonement, on top of the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place. And Jewish tradition states that that veil was made of such finely twined linen that two teams of oxen pulling in opposite directions could not tear it. 
Wow. You see, when sin entered into the earth because of Adam and Eve, remember the two angels. Anybody remember that? Two angels stood at the entrance, guarding the garden and said, you're kicked out of the presence of God. They had flaming swords. Why? Because from that point on, God's presence was guarded. So here he says, I'm going to meet with you between the wings of the cherubim, but there's going to be a finely twined linen veil that you can't open, you can't tear. Why? Because I'm back here, humanity's out there, and they are not available. I am not available. I'm not accessible in that way. But then God, he manifests himself in flesh, and he dies on a cross. And scripture tells us clearly that that veil represented Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest of, hol of, holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. So you're seeing these connections being made, not by us, by the, old, the New Testament writers saying, hey, that veil, that pointed to what just happened. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews was writing to people who were thinking about going back into animal sacrifice. They were wanting to go backwards, and they thought, oh, you know what? Jesus is dead and gone, and we believe in him, but now let's go back to the way we used to do things. And the writer of Hebrews spends his time going, what in the world are you thinking about? The theme of Hebrews is better things. There are better things. You don't go backward. There's not, there's, you, there remaineth no more sacrifice anymore. Now, it's better things. There's a new and living way. It's the flesh of, of, of our Savior. And check out what happened on the day that our Savior died on that cross. Matthew 27, 50 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. He died and behold, the veil, what happened to it? The veil that two teams of oxen could not tear apart. The veil that guarded the presence of God. The veil that kept humankind out of, the, of relationship with God Almighty. It says that veil, when he died, the veil of the temple, it tore twain from the top to the bottom. The earthquakes and the, and the rocks rent. And when Jesus died, he, he, his flesh was torn open and it seemed like a sad day, a terrible day, but that cross was always the plan of God. He knew that innocent animals were never going to completely take care of sin. He knew that he needed to take the on flesh and pay the ultimate price, but when he took on the sins and guilt and shame of humanity on that cross, that veil was split in two from top to bottom. It was to open the door back up for communion and interaction and relationship with his people. God wanted to restore what sin had separated. And it was always on his radar. This was pointing to that. This was getting his people ready for that. For them to follow the plan to obey. To work their way through that. But it all pointed to the cross so that when he could say I'm died on that cross. The veil is no longer there. The veil is no longer going to separate
separate you from coming before me. I want to restore what sin took. I want to restore what the devil caused. And so that is why we will be looking at the topic of prayer as it relates to the tabernacle. Because without the cross, I can't go into prayer without covering this first. Without the cross, we don't have prayer. Without the cross, we don't have interaction and openness into the presence of God. But because of Calvary, I said because of Calvary, because Jesus loved us that much, his flesh was torn and the separation between God and humankind was forever removed. And now we not only have access to his presence, people say, oh yeah, when the, when the veil was torn, we now can come in to the throne room of God. And that is so awesome and that's so powerful because when that tore opened, now I can run into his presence. I can come before the presence of God. It's open once again. But get this, get this. It wasn't just I get to come into his presence. You know what happened when that veil was torn? It was a loving God coming out unto us saying, you don't just get access to me, but I'm coming to restore. I'm coming looking for you. So many people think the Bible is a story of man and woman's pursuit of God. Read it again. It's a story of God's pursuit of us. When he tore that veil, he came out unto us and said, I want to restore what I've always wanted to have. And now because of that, Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us, because of that, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. If you're here today and you say, my Lord, I'm struggling. I need to find mercy. I need to find grace. You don't know what I've done, what I've been through. God says, hey, you just come and bring it to me. Come and bring it to me because the the reason that I took on flesh, the reason that I died on that cross was because I didn't want you on the other side of the veil anymore. I want you right here. That's why he says we are a royal priesthood because we are now the priests that can come into the holiest of holies. And we don't have to do it like they did with our knees knocking together going, oh, Lord, I hope he, I hope he accepts my sacrifice. I hope he takes it. I hope he don't strike me dead. God says, no, no, no. Come boldly, not with fear, not with fr fright, but bring it to me. Bring it to me and watch what I do. Oh, I just wish somebody would stand to their feet and raise their hands and begin to clap unto him and just say, Jesus, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for Calvary, God. Thank you for the fact that you love me enough to rip that veil open and come out unto me and let me come be before you, Lord. Oh, God. That is why the songs that we sing are so powerful. They are not just well-written songs. They are theologically sound, pure songs that say, You tore the veil. You made a way when you said that it is done. Or how about the other one that says, the veil is torn, the doors swing wide, I see glory as I run inside the throne room before you I bow. 
Now excuse the singing, but the song, the words, there is power in the words that we sing. So the next time that you're just reading words that say, oh, the veil is torn, the doors fling wide. I see glory as I run inside the throne room. Maybe you just ought to stop and say, what in the world am I singing right now? I'm singing about the fact that in this day and age, that in a time where people, they didn't have access to this. My God loved me enough that he died on a cross, ripped that veil open, and he said, get in here by me. Get back in my presence. I don't want the separation anymore. So tonight, as I open up this altar, I want you to know that the cross was always on God's mind. Redemption was always part of the plan. He wants you to know that you have access tonight. That it, it You know what I can say? Oh, it's, it's free. It was not free. It was not free. There was a huge price paid for what you're getting ready to do right now. And I say, oh, come on up here and, and, and come and find a place to pray. That wasn't free. That wasn't free. He loved you enough to say, I'm going to pay the price that rips that veil back open. And so keep that in mind tonight as you begin to find a place to pray that you can come boldly before the throne to find mercy, to find grace, that you can say, God, thank you so much that you didn't leave me on the outside looking in. Thank you so much that you made a way. Thank you so much that you tore the veil that I can come into the holy presence of God and that you will place your spirit inside of me so that one day by that spirit you can quicken me away from this mortal world and you can take me into eternity where I will be with you forever and ever and ever and ever and sin will never separate us again.